This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Hello, and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is producer Ben Wilson. And today we have a different kind of episode for you. We were at the Serious Decisions B2B Marketing Summit a few weeks ago, and we wanted to give you some of the highlights of what we heard from interviewing marketing leaders at that conference. We did nearly 20 interviews in three days, which is obviously a lot, so we wanted to bring you some of the best in terms of what we heard across all those interviews with a series of mixdowns. So on this episode, the Serious Decisions Mixdown Part 1, we're going to pull highlights from four different interviews. In this episode, we're focusing on the interviews we did with CEOs. You'll be hearing from Shafkat Islam, co-founder and CEO of NewsCred, John Miller, co-founder and CEO of Engageo, Eric Spett, CEO of Terminus, and Brian Wade, co-founder and CEO of Sigster. On this episode, you'll hear them talk about subjects ranging from what they view as the most important marketing trends to what makes effective content and how to implement an ABM strategy. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot, B2B marketing automation on the world's number one CRM. Are you ready to take your B2B marketing to new heights? With Pardot, marketers can find and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast, or click on the link in our show notes. First, let's hear from Shafkat, co-founder and CEO of NewsCred, a content marketing platform. In these next few clips, he talks about how to create content that engages an audience, where people go wrong with social media, and why marketing needs an operating system. You know, it's interesting. I, I, will get, I guess we'll just get into this in a little, a little bit later, but um, the investments that so many companies made on social that just <laughs> didn't pan out. I have a very simple way of, of looking at it. I think your website and like your email audience are the only two things you own as a brand. Everything yeah. else you rent. And like nothing wrong with renting, but you know, caveat emptor, like be careful what you get yourself into if it's, you don't own it. And if you don't own the audience, good things could happen, bad things can happen. Rent is due every day. <laughs> Rent is due every day. That's true. Well, I mean, I think that it was a fundamental shift. Um, you know, even our company has been has been guilty of this of being on a channel that you know got. I mean, we were we built the number one publication in Medium. We we're doing like three million uniques a month, and Medium changed their and business model. Disappear overnight. Yeah, they changed their business model three different times, and we were just like, "Whoa, this is." You know, so you, when I say like email, it's actually maybe I'll reframe it as like subscriber of any kind right whether like people can subscribe to your podcast people can subscribe to your email like you just need to have that identity and know that that customer anytime you're dependent on a platform i just think there's so much risk well i mean i think it's even a podcast subscriber or whatever i mean you don't like people all the time are like wait i'm i'm subscribed to marketing trends but i don't get your newsletter like where did you subscribe? They're like on you know on uh, Apple Podcasts, yeah. okay. right? There and so they don't they never went to marketingtrends.com and subscribed for the newsletter. Um, they just subscribed on whatever or like sure. you know or they just listen on SoundCloud or whatever it is. Yeah. And I mean you don't own the interaction, yeah. Like so you really don't own it, but at least you do have a mechanism to go one to one where they can sure. Listen. So I think going one to one is uh, is better than not, and then. Even better would be if you own that relationship and own that email address or identity somehow. You know, we were talking about this, not to get too off topic on this, but earlier I was talking with Emily from Pardot about this, 
about how she posted something. She's like, wait, you didn't see that post. And it was just, they posted on Twitter and she like didn't email it directly to me. And like, it just never surfaced in my feed. You know, something that I absolutely would have wanted to see. I would have clicked into and it just never hit me. And I'm pretty active on Twitter. I'm like, that's crazy. I didn't see it. I think the email, I mean, it's like a pretty precious inbox though. So the bar is pretty high. Like if you are going to get an email address, you can't abuse it. And again, the content has to be good. Yeah. Going back to like, basics. Um, but if you can do those things, treat the email address with respect and or the email lure with it with respect and, and send out great content. I think people will open email forever. It's the best social network. in the world. Oh, it's just confusing to buy. I mean, we talk to CMOs all the time. It's just like, it is a full time job to, you know, go through procurement processes. Yeah. Like, and we're at serious decisions. You walk around here. I mean, this place is like vendor city. Yeah. And we're, we're a quote unquote vendor as well. Makes my makes me cringe a little bit to say that, but it's hard being a CMO and buying and figuring out. Like, if anything, they need less technology, not more. We're both kind of in the content content marketing business. I think better content, less technology, better quality, less volume. Like, there's some simple tenants. Yeah, I mean, we joke about uh, vendors. The is the name you call the person you're not happy with uh, when you're happy with them, they're a partner. <laughs> That's really funny. But it, it is true, you know, as part of our integrated marketing software that we're building, it's not just about building more features. One of the big tenants that I talk to my product team about all the time is like, how do we simplify the stack? How do we, like, if we can't get in there and help reduce the number of tools that marketing teams have to use, then we haven't succeeded in our job. Like we got to make it simpler. And that might mean like we have to build a more ambitious company. And, you know, we'll talk about our vision maybe in a, in a, in a little bit. No, but you we, just, I mean, I, let's I, get into it now. All right. Well, so I, I think, you know, again, asking simple questions like why is there no operating system for marketing? Every other team in the enterprise has like they come into work, salespeople, they fire up Salesforce in a browser every single day. That's where they do the work. Finance fires up, I don't know, NetSuite or Oracle. Engineers have Jira. Uh, even your HR team has HRIS system. Recruiting teams have a system of record. But marketing teams, we're still like hamstrung with tools and spreadsheets and Trello and Asana and Google Docs and PowerPoints. It's crazy. And so I we believe that there's going to be an operating system for marketing, and that's like what our integrated marketing software is all about. It might take us five years, ten years, twenty years to build it, uh, but if we do, I think we, it'll just like simplify that stack down to like here's a tool where I just do my work as a marketing manager. Um, so you can just see it's a lot of waste. Yeah. You know, Larry Kim always talks about you know make unicorns not donkeys. I don't know if you've ever seen his stuff. <laughs> no, but that sounds amazing. Uh, it's really good. Yeah, he has a really good, basically same sort of thing. It's like you know five percent of your content is actually going to work so yeah. once you find the unicorns you know yeah. uh, kill off the donkeys and then uh, yeah we're not i think how we create more of that five percent that's what most marketing teams should be spending all their time thinking about yeah so how do they do that <laughs> very simple question to a very complicated answer so i actually think it actually the two parts of our business remember i talked about the two use cases how marketing teams work and then the content they create those two things are related i think Really high-performing teams create high-performing content. That's number one. That's my belief. That's a great my, one. My other belief is like how you're organized internally, whether you're super collaborative, work fluidly amongst your marketing organization or not, like that impacts the customer experience and the content experience that people see with your brand externally. So if you're like messed up internally and siloed and dysfunctional, you're going to have a very dysfunctional 
brand from a customer experience standpoint as well. So I think you got to get some of that stuff figured out. But that's more of like the operations and the machinery. But ultimately, this is as much like Disney as it is Google. Like you can figure all that machinery out, work better, have good technology. But there needs to be some sort of spark, something that is going to make you memorable, something that's going to be different. And I think we challenge all our brands to dig deep to figure out what is the one thing that you can do that no one else can do? What is the one thing you have access to that no one else has? What data do you have that no one else has? There is something, right? And maybe you're sitting on amazing data. Maybe you don't have any data. What about people? Do you have access to amazing people? Someone, people who work at your company, no one else has access to them. Like your customers, some story, like figure out what is, what is it that you have that absolutely no one else in the world has. That's usually a pretty good place to start. You know, we always say, yeah, I, I grew up in the military and um, you always say fight where you can win, right? Yeah. So we say that all the time at Mission. Totally. Um, you, that's what you that. should do. I love right? that. Yeah, I mean, like you should not be, you should not be putting yourself in a position where someone can beat you. Like I, you know, we talk about there's a sea of sameness here. Like yeah. if you go swimming in the sea of sameness, bad things will happen. But it's amazing that people don't. We, you know, we work with huge enterprise companies, and I just remember sitting through like a strategy session once. Like we've gone through all this stuff, and they're coming up with ideas for content. I, it was an insurance company. I'm not going to say who it was, but. Like, yeah, we need to uh, write an article about, like, winterizing your tires. I'm like, okay, interesting. I mean, maybe it's relevant to you guys. What do you have to say about winter winterizing your tires that no one else knows about? And they're like, oh, nothing. We're just going to write an article about <laughs> it. And I was like, okay, let's just do a quick search. Literally the first 10 articles were all winterize your tires articles from different insurance companies. And we just said, listen, we refuse to do that. Like the world does not need another piece of content about winterizing your tires. And I'm using like an absurd example, but you can use the same kind of frame for anything. Like does the world need this piece of content to exist or not? I think you can answer no for most branded content. Even if you do create something great, people are not just going to magically show up. So like you got to be thoughtful about distribution and still people kind of forget that step i think content should have some sort of like reason or action that you're trying to drive sometimes people forget about that like we always say like what's the next best thing this person can do once they consume their content they listen to your podcast what do you want them to do subscribe give you an email address like they read an article on your blog what do you want them to do like i don't know fill out a form watch a video go check out your product page you you want them to do something right so like be purposeful in in that journey that you're trying to take people on. Um, so I think that a lot of times is missing when people create create content. Next, let's hear from John Miller, co-founder and CEO of Engageo, an account-based marketing platform. In these next few clips, he talks about why marketing matters and the marketing trends that will change the most over the next few years. I was talking to a friend of mine the other day uh, who's a lawyer and ended up saying something along the lines of, I mean, you work in marketing, you just make stuff up for a living. And I went, awful. Oh, hurtful, <laughs> hurtful. Yeah. Not true. He's also, like, I was half kidding. And I was like, only, only half kidding though. Also, th- I mean, that's that's one of those things where like, that's a positive. Yeah, making stuff up, that's great. <laughs> like, you know who else made stuff up? Picasso. <laughs> you know, like- yeah, Disney. I mean, yeah. Um, well, it depends, right, it all depends on how you position it. Yeah, but that's kind of the way you're getting at, right? Is this kind of like glass half full, glass half empty sort of a look at marketing? Right. Well, I mean, I, I think about it kind of then from an economic perspective, 
right? I mean, just literally, like, if somebody buys something, they're giving you, they give you money for it, right? They, they believe that the economic value they're going to get or the utility they're going to get for the thing they're buying is worth more than the money they're giving up. Mm-hmm. And so in that transaction, value is being created. The world is actually being made better, right, because of this transaction. And all marketing is is trying to facilitate these value-creating transactions, that's a good thing, right? Yeah. So, yes. so why can't the rest of the world kind of understand that? So I've been sort of on this mission to kind of figure out, you know, how can we make marketing more meaningful? You know, and what I've realized is there's two sides to the equation. The first is it's got to be meaningful to the end customer, right? It can't be spammy. Mm-hmm. You know, it can't be irrelevant to them. Uh, it's got to actually somehow make their life better because of that interaction. You know, that's why content marketing has been so amazing. Totally. Yeah. Right. Because content marketing delivers value. It educates yes. or at least it entertains. That's useful. That's why personalization is so important, right? Because it's way easier to be relevant and add value when you're actually kind of personalized. Completely. You know, to the person. And if I think about what is going to make a company a longstanding company, and I mean, you started Marketo in 2005, Engageo in 2015, and building these longstanding companies, it is how do you drive value for the customer? How are you thinking, what can I do to actually better their lives, their businesses, and not breaking that idea apart from, well, this is what the product does, but marketing does this other thing. It's no, marketing the product, your business should be ultimately driving value for the long-term success of your customers. Yeah, which is kind of back to the point about kind of uh, the transfer of utility. Absolutely. You know, and that kind of thing. So I think a lot of the, I mean, my, my career has been all about trying to start companies that, you know, can help marketing be more relevant and more personalized, you know, and so on. And so I think, I think that kind of customer, meaning to the customer is, is important. But then I realized there's this other side, you know, meaningful marketing also, you know, which is the meaning it gives to the marketer themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of story from, from my own career. Early on in the days at Marketo, they started doing, you know, sales club, mm-hmm. you know, probably in year two or three. And all the top salespeople get to go to this thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I remember from my job before at, at Epiphany as a marketer, I'd kind of like look from the sidelines. Totally. And say oh, like, yeah. oh, why are those people getting to go to club? You know, so let's let's put on our tinfoil hats here and go into the future a little bit. Let's reinvent some of these kind of marketing ideas. How do you think that it has changed like up to now? And like, what do you see as some of those kind of tenpole things that are going to carry us, you know, onward? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I mean, we started Marketo in 2005 and, you know, Google AdWords at that time was just a couple of years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I don't know when, when did you first buy your first pay-per-click? Probably like 03 or 04, 03. right? 2003, yeah. I <laughs> bought my first pay-per-click ad. It was very exciting. Yeah. And you were a super early adopter, yeah. right? So by the time, you know, early 2005 comes around with Marketo, you know, people were honestly for the first time generating leads at any kind of scale, mm-hmm. you know, and the business problem was they needed a place to capture these things, a place to put them <laughs> and to do something with them. And that's where marketing automation came from. You know, this kind of, you know, online lead generation to revenue to new business process. And great. It solved that problem really well. And lots of successful companies came from that. But as you just alluded to, that's far from the main business problem today. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that 
we talked at our last podcast a lot about account-based marketing, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously that's a big change, right? You yeah. know, just the move from, it's not just about this individual lead, but there's a whole buying committee, especially as you sell to bigger companies, you know, so just the simple trend from leads to accounts, that's a big one, but it's, it, it is more than that. You know, there's, I mean, SaaS was relatively new in 2005. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Oh, yeah. yeah. And now not just software, but like every business is sold as a subscription, yeah. you know, razors and, you know, car rides, you know, whatever, <laughs> you know, it's, it's all subscription now. And it means that that kind of focus on just the new business, the new lead, you know, is not nearly as relevant anymore as is the kind of post-sale customer journey, expansion, you know, revenue. And the tools like Marketo are just still very focused on the new business, right? Yeah. You know, you generate, you know, a lead, you know, and that account gets marked closed one. Boom, forever. Now it's a cost. It's closed one. Yeah. You know, a new lead comes in, might be for a whole other product. The system doesn't know what to do with it. Completely. I think um, you were before the show, you asked about vendors that weren't here, you know, before when, you know, kind of even yeah, like we're sitting around seven or eight years ago, I mean, I very briefly, the, the, the last major trend. You know, these days, more and more companies I see are sending less email from their marketing automation platform mm. and more out of their sales team through sales engagement tools. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think because they, they recognize that it's more human, it's more personalized, it's less likely to get hit by spam, you know, and and that that that's another big trend, mm-hmm. right? Totally. It's just kind of the balance between true automation versus the human touch. Yep. You know, so you have all these factors. You know, that are playing is to, you know, I think you allude to this. You know, as a marketer, you're looking around, you're buying seven, eight, ten different platforms. He someone, was telling us that he <laughs> yeah. talked to a, a marketing leader last night at, at the dinner that they have 44. Oh my gosh. And you know what? I believe that because there's so much, there's so much technology. There are so many, so many more needs that are happening. And it's well, if I can automate this, well, I'll buy this for this automation and I'll buy this for this degree of, sales enablement and I will buy this for intense scoring and I will buy all of these different tools and I'm going to knit everything together, which is honestly why I think companies like MuleSoft and API integrations <laughs> are the future right now because all we do is knit yeah. technology together. But it's getting more and more complicated for yeah. marketers. And something that I kind of keep going back to and anchoring on is what I love about marketing is the combination and the blending of art and science. You have the hard science and you have the data and you have the numbers and this data-driven marketing, if that's all you have, it's not going to work. You can't lose the art, the emotion, the narrative, the storytelling, the building deep engagements. And if you think about where a lot of marketing is going right now, you have this one side, which is let's think about AI and bots and machine learning and what can we do for automation and personalization that is you drop everything into a data warehouse, you run a bunch of algorithms and it spits out the right answer, which is awesome. But you also need to have the, what is the high touch human experience? Yep. What is the human connection and engagement and personalization? Pre- yeah. Because if all we have is the data and the numbers and the bots and the AI and the machine learning, all we have is the science of marketing and we lose the heart and the soul of it. And we can't lose the heart and the yeah. soul of it. Yeah. I mean, even in the word automation, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it, it, it built into it. It's like, sounds like robots and there's, exactly. no, there's no humanity in there. 
I see some people trying to kind of use the AI and all that to kind of replicate the human. Yes. Right. And the problem with that is, you know, you've heard in animation, um, the uncanny valley. Mm. So um, the classic example is that movie, the polar express. Yes. You know, where like they try to make something human, but it's not quite. And therefore it's creepy. Yes. Yeah. Totally. You know, I think yes. the same thing happens in AI, right? Where if you, you can't, the technology is there. I don't know if it's ever going to be there to truly kind of like replace kind of the actual human touch. It's the you know, nuance. And so I think as a result, a lot of these tools that kind of completely try to automate it end up looking creepy. Next, we're going to hear from Eric Spett, CEO of Terminus, an account-based marketing platform. In our interview with Eric, he talks about how to make an ABM strategy work and what true marketing sales alignment looks like. You know, before you get to thousands, right, you have the early projects. Before you get the projects, like you have to convince your boss to be like, we should be doing ABM. In those type of conversations with prospects, and they're talking about these problems, saying, hey, we want to pitch this to our leadership team. This is something that's going to the CMO. This is something that maybe it is the CMO pitching the CEO or the board or the executive team. What are some of the things that they're getting back to say, this doesn't make sense, or those objections that you, that you hear so often? So, so that's a great question. And that's part of the rub on all of this is all of this falls down if you've got one or two marketers in an organization that want to do ABM. It, it doesn't work. You need marketing leadership. You also, like one of the things that we say at Terminus is the value of marketing is actually defined by sales. 100%. So if, if sales also isn't bought in to what marketing is doing to help them, then the, the holistic pro, a tactic might work, but doing account-based ABM, account-based business strategy, like that's not going to work without sales buy-in. And then really it's executive team buy-in because we're, we're talking about a business model and go-to-market strategy. Yep. So it's one of the things that we're now acutely aware of and it changes the way that we sell and who we want to get involved and even me and my executive teams, uh, you know, the number of deals that we go into because we know it's, you know, we know we have to get all the stakeholders at the table and sometimes it takes a little umph to make that happen. And so we, we actually really enjoy and we learn a lot from doing it as well. But it's, you know, it's at all levels. You have to get the team and the business unit. You have to get the sales leadership. One of the, just to go back to like your more specific question, one of the, my favorite things that I love to tell people is, what is less rare, what is more rare is that you've got this executive team and marketing and sales leadership aligned and, hey, we're doing ABM and you've got top down pushing this thing and, and making it a priority. The more common case is you have some really smart, forward looking, innovative people in the company that agree that they want to do this. And the way to get the buy in is to go show small success stories. And oftentimes for us, because most of what we do is we sell to marketers, although we have sales managers, sales leaders on the call and in the process, and we're, you know, we get key stakeholder into the account that way. And if we don't, oftentimes we won't sell because we don't think they'll be successful at the end of the day. Um, and we take that really seriously, but it's, all right, everyone, know, like everyone listening knows you've got, whether you're a software company or another type of business, like whether it's an SDR team or a salesperson or an account manager, you know, your folks that are like always looking for the edge. They're typically the hardest working. They are always grinding. They're generally at the top of the leaderboard. It's sort of hard to replicate what they do. And everyone wishes they had those results. You find those people and you get them bought in to whatever part of account-based strategy or tactics that you're running. And you say, hey, 
I want to I want to test this out with you because you always do such a good job on you know the latest and greatest and giving us feedback. You make them successful on whatever part of the go to market strategy that you're working on, whether that's lead generation, customer acquisition, uh, existing customer expansion. You make them successful, and then you shout the stories from the rooftops. And then the other reps and individual contributors will start to hear. It's like, ooh, I want some of that ABM stuff. Or what are they doing with Terminus? Or, hey, I saw them looking at Terminus and Salesforce, and I don't have that on mine, but like, what am I missing? And then it's like just this beautiful grassroots. It just spiders out. And then before you know it, it's like the salespeople are telling the marketing team, I'll be damned if you're taking out Terminus. Like, I love that data, and I've never had anything like that before. Don't remove that. And then it gets executive attention and it goes from there. Yeah, we And that's the more common way that it happens. They're already doing ABM. It's you need to make sure that the whole organization is on board. Yeah, and that's exactly like I cringe when I hear it because it's 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 exactly what you said. It's yeah, sales might be acting in the manner where I want to close as many deals with the best accounts as possible. But in isolation and without basically what sales teams have, it's it's pretty sweet. And I salespeople, you know, have one of the hardest jobs in a company. Always pressure, always quota. You know, when things are going well, great, sell more. You know, like I have a lot of understanding and respect and empathy for that. But the one of the coolest things about sales is they actually have a whole function of the company whose job is to make them more successful. And the thing that's like the most painful and what we like are so passionate about is like we're really trying to break down that barrier and create an environment where sales knows that marketing is just trying to help them do their jobs better. And that like it doesn't matter who did what part or who's take credit. It's like we are going to grow our companies in a higher quality, more efficient, more enjoyable way. Yeah, that's all that we think about is like more higher quality growth, more efficient growth more enjoyable growth. And that's what we want to deliver to our customers. Yeah, it's like saying someone is playing basketball when they're, you know, doing a three-point contest. It's like, well, they can already shoot. You know, they can already make shots. It's like, yeah, but could you imagine if you had four other people shooting with them? Like, how many could you make then, right? Just because you're doing that doesn't mean that you have that augmented uh, intelligence or that that level of of support and scale that, that the technology provides. Yeah, and I, I was reading a book recently is an older book, um, but there's a, a good quote in there that said, it's easy to stop one man or woman. It's hard to stop a hundred. And that doesn't apply one-to-one here, but I always think like, I've started thinking about that. Like, yeah, it's probably easy to stop. Like if you're a competitor, it's probably easy to stop a sales team. It's probably pretty hard to stop a super aligned marketing and sales team that is putting all of their might into each and every account and just pushing it to the limits and the most personal, the best sales process. It's, it's a powerful thing when they're working together and enjoying it. And there's really, a, you know, at Terminus, we call it one team, hashtag one team. It's one of our core values. The only one with a hashtag. But um, <laughs> that sort of grew out of us wanting to act as one team, one aligned revenue team. You know, for us, it's also one aligned company. But it's really something that we, we love to, we love to try and help our customers do as well. Last up, we have Brian Wade, CEO of Sigster, an email signature marketing platform, which he explains more about in this interview. Brian also talks about how to deal with customer escalations, the future of marketing, and how marketing leaders should work with CEOs. 
So let's flash forward to currently what you're working on at Sixer. Um, obviously, you know, CEO, your roles and responsibilities are everything. But what what is the company working on? Why, why are you so excited to join it? Well, I, I left Salesforce and took a sabbatical. And when I was on sabbatical, I had Scott Dorsey, who was the CEO at Exact Target, who was now the, the general partner at High Alpha mm-hmm. uh, Venture, that their studio, call me and say, hey, Brian, I want to talk to you about Sixer. Uh, the founder is looking to bring in a CEO to help him scale the business. And uh, so I, I learned learned a little bit more about the company and I realized, gosh, every business in the world runs an employee or a corporate email system. Yeah. Right. I mean, you wake up in the morning. What's the first thing you do? You check your inbox and you see if you've got an important message. Uh, you're eating breakfast. You check your calendar. You make sure that you got the right clothes on. You mm-hmm. might have a meeting that day with somebody important. And so it's a part of your daily workflow of, of Everyone in B2B, about six and a half hours every day is what the average employee spends in the inbox. So it's a high Holy volume. Moly. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of time. So, you know, if, if I step back and think about what, what is this opportunity, it's a high volume channel, mm-hmm. billions of messages. It's a captive audience. Marketers want to reach people where they are. And the data, the data that comes off of this kind of a system, I thought could be really valuable because you think about... Outlook or G Suite, Office 365, who owns that? Is it the marketer or is it IT? Mm-hmm. It's IT. Well, what do they do? They protect it. Yep. They lock it down. And so part of our vision is to take the data, we call it dark data, that's sitting inside of your corporate organization. You own it. It's owned data. It's not third party. It's yours. So when your employees come and go, their LinkedIn profiles go with them. But their corporate email stays in your environment. And so uh, we've kind of got this, this this vision for unlocking the inbox, and uh, we've got a couple of products that do that in a number of ways. What are your your best uh, pieces of advice for having to deal with escalations? First, you always accept the feedback from the customer, and mm-hmm. I, I say my number one thing is be blatantly, blatantly transparent. I like to create three slides, mm-hmm. and I like to tell them exactly what happened. Almost transparency to the point where they say, "Oh wow, like." That was big. Mm-hmm. And then the, they're almost taken aback by your transparency and honesty. Because at the end of the day, they're going to find out anyway. Yeah. So just tell them up front what, what exactly happened. Cover-ups are always worse than the crime. Always worse. Mm-hmm. And then tell them how you're going to fix it. And if you don't have a deadline, you ask for 24 hours. And then you spend the next 24 hours figuring out when you can do it. And mm-hmm. then you tell them your deadline and you make sure it's going to get done on time. But uh, yeah, all, the, the blatant transparency tends to... More of my junior engineers are like, you would never tell a customer that. I'm like, absolutely, I'll tell them that. You, you pushed the code and made a mistake. It's like, hey, it happens. It's the only way to go. Is, uh, we had a Karen Steele in a studio earlier, and she's CMO at Lean Data. And one of the things we had talked about was if you think about customer experience and driving advocacy, you don't ever want these hiccups to happen. But when they do, how you deal with customer issues and customer pain points are one of the best ways to build efficacy and relationships and advocacy. It's great how you treat us when things are warm and fuzzy, but what do you do when the rubber actually hits the road? Exactly, exactly. Laura and I were talking on our way to Sirius about uh, an account that she had where she felt like she was an owed a make good and they doubled the price of the account. Yeah. I'm like, that ain't great. Yeah. Um, but do, how do you look at how do you look at like make goods and things like that? Are you are you trying to figure out a way to like acknowledge that stuff and then give them something in return? Yeah, it's a small world. I mean, you have to use your judgment. 
Uh, it depends who's, you know, it's all judgment call. But I do think, you know, what goes around comes around. And if you treat mm-hmm. people right and do the right thing, two years from now, it always pays off every single time. Uh, so we try, we try to be fair. So we have, we have a very clear rule at Sigster. So our number one value is called the signature rule. Nice. So it ties back to the email signatures. Nice. And that is to treat people like you want to be treated, your customers, your employees, and on down the line. And we take it really, really seriously. And so uh, if anyone was ever not honest or if anyone ever did something that was you know, not like you want to treat people, we've let people go Yeah, because it's the number one value. If, if, if people can't trust that you're going to treat them right and do the right thing, uh, Salesforce's number one value is trust. Uh, ours is a signature rule. They're similar, same concept. But yeah, it's just, uh, you got to be on the up and up. I think that this California Data Protection Act is going to disrupt the heck out of marketing. Oh yeah, Ooh. great answer. And yes. I think that people are in for a little bit of a disruption on some of their day-to-day activities and practices. And you know, it, it comes down to data and uh, knowing knowing the, who the customer is and getting permission. And I think that uh, I think it's going to be disruptive for us. And I think the future of marketing is identity-based marketing and actually knowing who you're marketing to and being able to keep track of it. Because when you get that request, based on what I'm reading from the law, when you get that request, you're going to have to tell people, here's what I know about you. And if it's all over the place and you've purchased that kind of information, I, I think it's going to be an interesting uh, conversation with uh, lawyers and the business. And so it should be fascinating couple of years. And one one last question for me and then Ian may have another. Sure. What advice do you have for marketing leaders working with CEOs? Clearly, articulate the value of how the brand marketing that you're doing impacts the bottom line. For example, Sigster, we are, we have a strong sticker game. Okay. We've got stickers out the wazoo. You go through this conference, people have stickers, our stickers all over their laptops. And I'm asking my marketing team, what's, what's the real value of it? I come to the conference and everyone's like, I love your stickers. I love your stickers. And I start to realize, oh man, like this little tactic People know us because of it, and it breaks the ice. So while there's not like a conversion that happens when we send a handwritten letter with a sticker in it, it just creates an aura. And so I think as a marketer, it's to be able to tell your stories, but then have your CEO come to a conference like this and hear those stories directly from your prospects and customers. Of course, there's all kinds of great one-to-one conversion, bottom-of-the-funnel things that, that, that matter, but to really... Find a way to help your CEO understand how some of the, how those brand-like tactics can really make a difference. Thanks for listening to this episode of Marketing Trends. Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce Pardot. World-class B2B marketers use Pardot to generate and nurture leads, close more deals, and maximize ROI at every stage of the sales cycle. Empower your marketing team to become revenue-generating superheroes and let Pardot's data analysis keep an eye on the bottom line. Learn more by visiting pardot.com slash podcast or click on the link in our show notes. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience 
Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.